Well, good morning and welcome to Christ Church. Good to have you here today. Special greetings to those joining us from some of the other sites. Um, so I'm excited. Uh, Luke is in the rearview mirror. We're turning the corner. Uh, I've been um, thinking about this for a long time. The whole theme, We Are Family, obviously a little um, throwback to the Sister Sledge song of a long time ago. Uh, it's also meant to advertise that this is not a marriage series per se, as sometimes churches do. It's about family, and it's a little bit of a play on the idea of family because um, while we get instructed to, to care for those we are biologically related to, Paul writes about that in 1 Timothy, uh, Jesus is also online saying that his family are those who do the will of the Father. So there's a sense in which the church becomes a family. And there's a sense in which families have conversations that maybe you don't have with others. Uh, I'm not thinking about, you know, the special family meeting conversations that maybe uh, your family has had or a family you grew up in has had. Uh, I'm thinking about conversations that generally take place in the car or at the dinner table, or it's, but it's sort of, uh, it's sort of the, the family uh, conversation. And... Um, so there are some things that I, over the, over the years, I've been thinking, wow, there are some things that I would like to say. So I'm 56, Anson City's 40, I'm 56. I've been married, Sherry and I have been married over 30 years. I've been a pastor for over 30 years. And uh, over that time, you know, I sort of watched things and learned things, and I found myself saying, there are things that I would love a chance to say to people who are single and married and single again and uh, living together and grandparents and fi- married with kids and married without kids and blended families and, and sort of just looking on. There are some things that I would like an opportunity to say, and it's generally stuff I don't hear being said. So there's lots of advice out there, obviously, uh, about family. And um, relationships are a source of significant pain, and so there's a whole industry that churns out advice. And uh, some of it is really good, and some of it I think is spectacularly bad, and I can't imagine it's ever worked, but somehow it made it into print. And in preparation for this series, I, I read books and blogs, and I held focus groups, and, and uh, I was asking people, what do, what do you know now that you didn't know 10 years ago or 20 years ago about uh, relationships and friendships and family and, and that you would want to pass on? And of course, as a pastor, I sort of carry ongoing focus groups uh, because that's the life I live. When many people find out I'm a pastor, I've said generally they treat me like I'm radioactive. It's just slowly back away, see if you can get away from him because he's weird and religious and he might go off as a bomb. So many people back up. Other people lean in and they start to say things to me. And I, I generally find myself wanting to say, time out, first of all, um, if you're going to tell me that, like, you probably ought to tell me your name, because those are the kinds of details, you know, you shouldn't be sharing with just anybody, and especially not in the line at Starbucks, where other people are listening, so let's find a different setting for that, and, and actually, you probably have already told me enough, because I think I see where this is headed, right? And, and tell me that you sort of knew that this was headed here. That you're headed, you, you have crashed, and things have, the wheels have fallen off. And, but you sort of knew that, that some of what was going on wasn't going to work. Uh, you sort of knew how men were. You knew how relationships work, all right? So your, your parents taught you something about some of this. So I find myself 
often want to, you know, call a timeout, and, and I, I get lots of feedback on relationships in real time. And so uh, I want to I share some things over the course of the next four weeks. I, I, uh, I share this out of a backdrop of thinking lots of things are changing. Uh, some for the good, some probably not. When I, got, uh, when I was doing the research for the book on the future that I wrote a year ago, uh, I made, I was so taken by sort of the big macroscopic changes that were happening to families that one of the, the big four that I wrote about, one of the glaciers that I said, this is changing everything, are, are, are social, sexual, and marital dynamics. And I just noted that in the 60s, 75% of adults over the age of 18 were married. Today, it's less than 50%. A lot fewer children. The number one place for, as of last week, the number one place for uh, people between the ages of 18 and 34 to live is with their parents, as of last week. So there's just a lot of changes that are taking place. And I found myself, as I was doing research and thinking about things, conversations with people, I found myself in a different spot than I've been in the past. I've been a, I was a college pastor, so I spoke about relationships a lot for the first eight years I was in ministry, because I was on a college campus, and everybody wanted to talk about love and sex and dating. So uh, I've done this a lot, but this time I sort of came away feeling the need for the first time, to defend marriage. Uh, because there's, there's a lot of people that need hope. They need hope about the relationships they're in. They need hope about marriage generally. And, and they just need hope about friendships and that their relationships can get better. And so uh, I want to come at this from that uh, vantage point. So uh, let me say that not everything that I'm going to say over the course of the next four weeks will apply immediately to you because we have people here who are in their 90s that have been married to the same person for over 60 years, and we have people who are 15 and have never been married. Uh, so just understand that I'm, I'm trying to talk across the broad spectrum, and whatever situation you find yourself in today, it's likely that it will change, right? So... Maybe you are uh, married now and you could be single in the future. Maybe you don't have children and you could. You could become a grandparent. You could become, uh, you could be single and you're going to get married. You're, you're living together and you're going to get married. You're going to break up. It, these things are changing. There's a, there's a lot more fluidity than we might think. So I would ask that you would pay attention uh, sort of across the spectrum. Let me say, I expect that some of what I say is either going to hurt or make you mad. Uh, I'm sorry, it's never my intention to hurt people, but nor is it my intention to not hurt people, right? I, I just can't do that. I can't say, oh, that might hurt somebody, I better not say it. So that's, that's not the job, as I understand it. So, uh, you know, if I make you mad, I'm, uh, it wasn't my goal, but um, okay, send me an email and tell me what you think of me, and uh, I'll put it in the file. It's a long file, so... Uh, and let me also just start this by saying, I, I want to I be really clear. I may realize some of you, the question I get asked most of all, <laughs> who are you married to? Uh, I can't figure out who your wife is. Yeah, okay, well, so we've been married for 33 years. She's here every week. Uh, it's just that there's three campuses and, you know, nine services, and she's involved, very involved in the church. We've been married for over 30 years. But uh, you don't know what my life is like. You don't know what our marriage is like. So let me say, uh, I love my wife 
dearly, and I'm so thankful that I married her. We, those who know us closely would not say we've made marriage look easy all the time. So there have been five occasions, maybe six, uh, over the course of the 32 years that we've been married where we got stuck. And either friends came to us and said, looks like you're stuck, or we raised our hand and said, we're stuck, we need help, uh, fix that one, uh, because they're, they're crazy. And so we have, we have done that, we have gone down that path, nor do we have a perfect family. We've got three boys, uh, they're great guys, two of them live in the area, they're involved in the church, one of them at the Lake Forest campus, one of them sort of roams, does a lot of tech stuff at all the sites, uh, another son that is, uh, that is living out of state. And uh, they're great guys. But, but family life is family life, right? So the oldest son sent me an email this week, and he said, Dad, I finally got that computer. He's a math computer guy because I finally got that old computer of yours up and running. And he says there was a bunch of files on it. He goes, so I've saved the files. I'm sending them to you. He goes, by the way, read the file that I've marked, uh, good times, question mark. Or good times, exclamation point. So he was being sarcastic, and I, I look at the file, and it's a letter that I had written to him 15 years ago uh, when we were about to kill each other. And we were living in the same house, and I started by saying, you know, Austin, the very fact that I'm writing you a letter suggests that we're, we're in a little bit of crisis here. And it, you know, it got resolved. It got much better. Sherry sort of intervened, held a, held a meeting, and said, I think everybody here has reason to be embarrassed uh, I don't think she did, but, but both Austin and I were, were, you know, life is hard. So I just want to come at this saying, it's hard. And I know some of you are in hard situations and you're finding relationships are hard. Yes, uh, they are. So I, want to, I just want to come at this. This is not a, hey, you know, we've got this, I've got this wired. This is a, how do we look at the counsel we get from God who is for us and gives great counsel how do we look at that and apply that to who we are uh, to, to see lives work better? So what I want to do today, this is a four-week series, what I want to do today is share seven opening ideas or principles. And uh, I will remind you, this is the introductory sermon. So I got a bunch of people pinging me last night saying, what about this, what about this, what about this? And I'm like, it was the first talk in four. I can't, I can't cram everything into the first one. So come back next week and we'll, we'll keep unpacking this. But I want to set a foundation for the next three weeks. And, and I want to share some things that I think are um, sort of basic. But at the same time, I know they're not shared by everybody. And if you're going to disagree with me, it's best to sort of understand the assumptions that I bring into this. And let's disagree at the foundational level because I'm going to build on this over the course of the next few weeks. So, seven points. Number one, we were created and designed for relationships. We are social beings. We were made to be together. Uh, We are made in the image of a God who has always existed in the perfect fellowship of his self, right? We're not Unitarians, we are Trinitarians. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a mystery, we're not going to be able to unpack it. But somehow, for all of eternity, there has been one God in three persons. 
And uh, I, I, the, the, the book, The Shack, came out eight, ten years ago. A movie has come out more recently. The, the, there's problems with the book. I've not seen the movie. There's theological problems with the book. I'm not going to defend it. But one of the things that I liked about the book was it, it, it reflected, it suggested a relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that was loving and affirming. Right? And, and, and we see that in Scripture. So Jesus is forever deferring to the Father, the will of the Father. And the Father, when we hear him speak audibly, the only times we hear God speak audibly in the New Testament is to say, this is my son whom I love, right? Whom I am so proud of, right? And we just see words of affirmation. And the Spirit of God is is pointing uh, the spotlight away from him to the other and to Jesus in particular and saying, no, look at Jesus. So There is a perfect relationship. You and I have been made in the image of a God who has always been in community, always been in relationship, and we are designed for that. Now, this does not mean that we have to be married in order to be whole. We do not. Jesus, the only perfect person, was not married. And Paul, not perfect, but Paul, who writes about this, uh, says, I wish more of you were like me. Single, because it's, life is a lot simpler when you're single, and you have more time and energy that you can, you can give to serve and to advance the work of God in the world. Now, some people think, well, being single then is, is superior to being married. No, they're, they're different. I'm, I'm coming at this from the vantage point that both are valid options, but we were made for relationships. And, and we see this in Genesis where God says, uh, when he looks at Adam, he says it's, it's not good that he's alone. And we know this intuitively because one of the worst things that can happen to somebody is that they're put in solitary confinement, right? Now, I know that some of you moms have got, you know, three kids under the age of four going, solitary confinement, really? How do I get that? We were... Um, there were a few of us on staff that were away at a conference uh, six months ago, and it was, uh, it was a, a noisy night in the hotel, right? You could tell when the bar closed. You could, you know, there was just a lot of noise. And the next morning at breakfast, we were talking about it. And Anson, Anson and Dina have uh, five kids, and Anson's like, this was the quietest night of the last 15 years. What are you guys talking about? So, yes, I get that some of you are looking for solitary, but... Uh, it doesn't work that way. We're not wired that way. So, one, we were created for relationships. Two, um, sin messes things up. We were made for relationships. Sin messes things up. Consequently, relationships are hard. Uh, they're just, our relationship with God is the first thing that is compromised. We ought to start, right, that by design and eventually, but not now, we should, we should have as the, as the ongoing 100% backdrop for who we are is that I am loved, I am safe, my eternity is secure, I'm in a perfect relationship with a perfect God who is gracious, and consequently our tank is full, and we're free to give. We're free to love, we're free to serve, right? That's the backdrop that we ought to be in, but that's not the backdrop that we're in. And consequently, it's not just that our relationship with God is compromised because of our sin. Our relationships horizontally get very confusing and compromised as well.
So um, the, the challenge with this in part also is that we are so profoundly broken. Sin is not just a, a little surface wound. It's not a little one percenter. We are so profoundly broken by sin that we can't even see ourselves very realistically. So in the last couple of weeks, I have been in, in uh, conversations with someone who, who just seems constitutionally unable to face who they are and what's going on in their life. Everybody else can see it, but they just cannot see it. And, and try as we might from all different angles, we can't, we can't sort of get truth in there. And this is, this is an old problem. So again, back to the Genesis account, the first thing that Adam does after sin is blame God and his wife, right? I mean, that's his first line. What went wrong? The woman you gave me did this, right? So, I mean, he is the one culpable, but he is casting. Uh, he is casting blame in every direction. Whether he could see it or not, I don't know. But we have a hard time seeing ourselves accurately. Um, in, in the movie, uh, As Good As It Gets, Helen Hunt is, um, uh, is trying to figure out whether she wants to enter into a relationship with Jack uh, Nicholson. And, and he's, he's a, a pretty disturbed guy, uh, pretty significant uh, agoraphobia and OCD, and he's very, very caustic. He's, he's trying hard to care for her, but he's very um, odd. And she says to her mom, I just, I just want a boyfriend that's normal. I mean, that's all I want. I just want a boyfriend that's normal. And she goes, oh, honey, everybody does. And they, they don't exist, right? So there's reality, right? We're all sinners. You and me and your, your neighbor and your colleague and your significant other. Everybody is a sinner. Can't see themselves very accurately. All of this stuff gets complicated because of sin. Number three, our relationships shape us spiritually. So one of the most significant things about you is who you spend time with. Whoever you spend the most time with shapes you the most. <laughs> okay? We are shaped by our friendships and our relationships. We see this with little kids, right? Oh, we don't want Johnny to play with the kid across the street because the kid across the street is bad influence. Okay? Maybe so. Maybe it's Johnny that's the bad influence. But what we know is it's hard for people to consistently do better than the people they're hanging out with. Right? Friends can pull you down. Friends can lift you up. But friends, spouses, neighbors, small group members, people shape us. We are shaped by our relationships. Relationships matter a great deal. Number four, relationships between men and women can be uniquely complicated. Okay? So all relationships are complicated because we're, we're damaged, but relationships between men and women can be uniquely complicated because of sexual dynamics, so, and let me call another timeout here. I call the timeout to say we do not have to be married to be complete. I'm going to call out a timeout now to say God is pro-sex. Not sure whether you've read the book carefully. Many people assume that God is approved, that God is scandalized by sexual expression. Not the case. He designed us. 
He, did, he wired us for pleasure. He figured out how the parts were going to fit together. This is all God's idea. And there is, a, there is one of the books of the Bible that is a pretty uh, graphic uh, description of physical love between a man and a woman. And, and some say that it's, it's, it's about marriage. Some say that it's all a metaphor about the relationship between God and, and, and his people. Whatever. Right there is a there is a book, the Song of Solomon, that gets um, watered down in English translations because it's a little bit more graphic than than the editors decide they want to put out there. But there is a book that celebrates physical love between a man and a woman. God is pro-sex. He he puts very specific boundaries around it. But uh, one man, one woman committed to each other for a lifetime. We don't like those boundaries. But God is pro-sex. Um, so I'm not, I'm not saying sex is bad. I'm just saying it's, on the one hand, very simple. On the other hand, it's very complicated, and it adds lots of complications to relationships. So relationships between men and women can be uniquely challenging because of sexual dynamics. And then secondly, there's just the, the, the men are from Mars, women are from Venus thing that perhaps that's overstated, but sometimes it's understated, right? So when Sherry and I were dating, we would say to people, oh, we see the world the same way. We're so alike. And, and it only makes sense because my dad is an engineer and her dad is an engineer. And my dad basically works as an engineer and then golfs. Those are the only two things he does. And her dad is an engineer who golfs. And that's pretty much all he does. So, and then we, you know, her family has four kids. My family has five kids, right? So we, 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 I'm going into college ministry. She wants to go into college ministry. It's all, we, we see the world the same way, right? And then we get married and we're like, who are you and how could you possibly have thought that, right? Like, tell me again what you're thinking. Like, oh my goodness, like, are we on the same planet? Like, how could you have assumed that I meant that when I said that? So it's, I have learned. I'm not going to claim to be very good at it, but I have learned and sometimes can predict how my wife is going to see situations very differently than me because uh, she's a woman, and she sees things very differently than I see them. So, so relationships between men and women can be uniquely complicated. Number five, lots of confusion that happens in conversations about marriage happens because people mean very different things by the word. Okay, So for starters, let's just acknowledge marriage as an institution has changed a lot. It's a fluid term. So we can look at cultures where marriage describes being part of an extended family. We can look at cultures where marriage is much more about a nuclear family. We can look at cultures where marriage is as an arranged, uh, something that is arranged, largely often seems to be about property rights, certainly not about romance. Other situations where it all seems to be about emotions and romance. A hundred years ago, the average person got married uh, in their teens and started having children right away. And so a woman could have 14, 20 pregnancies, probably uh, carry a dozen of those to term and, and lose a number of those children I- I- when they're young. And, and it was not unheard of for a woman to die in childbirth 
or, you know, to be worn out by 14 to 20 pregnancies, right? So it's very different today. People don't get married when they're 16 or 17 as a rule. And they're putting marriage off in the late 20s or 30s. And you're not having 14 to 20 uh, children, right? So it's just (laughs) children are not an economic asset anymore, right? They're not your 401k plan uh, to have as many children as you can have. Quite Quite the opposite. The situation is different just when we think about the different ways people think about marriage. Then we need to understand when God talks about marriage, he has something very specific in mind as well. For starters, marriage isn't only about marriage. Okay, Marriage is not, as God uses the term, only about marriage. Let me read to you uh, a very prominent passage on marriage out of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. It starts in the fifth chapter. I'm going to begin reading with verse 21. So Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. And this is, the the headline is relationships generally, but it quickly goes, seems to go to marriage. So um, Ephesians 5, 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as the wife, as the, Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave herself up for, gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body. But they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. And then here's the payoff verse. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. You go, no, I thought you were talking about marriage. Right? So, so marriage as God defines it, and this is a weird thing to think about. Until you think in light of eternity, marriage is ultimately a description of the relationship between God and us, between Christ and the church. And the union of a a husband and a wife in a family is a metaphor to that. We think, no, marriage means, uh, uh, you know, marriage is talking about a physical family relationship between a man and a woman having children— Marriage, that's what marriage is, and it's a little weird that God would use that to talk about the relationship between uh, Christ and the church. But in actuality, it's the opposite. Marriage, human marriage, is, a, is an opportunity for a gospel expression. <laughs> so it's an opportunity to model the unconditional love Christ shows for us. Right? That's what we get invited into. We get invited into a relationship in which we say, I am going to put the needs of someone else ahead of my own. Now that, again, that is very different than the way the word marriage gets used today and the way many people approach marriage. But in fact, when God is talking about marriage, that's what he's talking about. So we, when, when, a, when a couple is getting married, 
right? They are, they are taking vows that no good attorney would let them take, okay? The attorneys that want to limit exposure and liability, and this is not about that, right? For better or worse, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, I'm, I'm signing away rights. I'm going to make your, your uh, prosperity, your life, I'm signing up to be about you, not about what I'm going to get. So we enter into a covenant. It's not a contract. We have lots of contractual relationships today, right? You go to the grocery store, and if the grocery store is convenient, and if they've got food, you know, fresh produce at the right price, you'll go back. But if they don't, if you don't like something, you'll go somewhere else, right? It's a, it's a contractual relationship. We have covenant relationships. If you have a child, right, you are, you are committed to that child. You can't say, you know what, there's, there's nicer children at, at the next door. You're a little whiny. You're a little, you're, you know, I'm not coming back here, so I'm going to trade you in. I'm going to go. No, if you do that, you go to, you go to jail for that because it, it's a very different kind of relationship. And marriage is, as we read through what God is doing here, marriage in one sense is a foreshadowing to the kind of relationship that we have with God. And we get invited into a relationship in which we're going to place the needs of someone else ahead of ourselves. It's very radical. It's very different. And we have to understand when we're reading some of the advice that I read in preparation for this series, some of the advice I read, I thought, well, that is remarkably bad advice for this person, but it might work for what they're trying to do. Advice for men, how to pick up women. I go, this is bad advice, but it might work for what you're after, but it's not ultimately in your best interest. So we got to understand the counsel we're getting from God is always in our best interest. God will never expect you to act outside of your own best interest, right? God is for you. He will never ask you to act outside of your own best interest, but we don't often understand our own best interest, and we don't often see this in light of eternity. And, and so uh, some of the advice is going to seem a little odd. Point number six. Uh, marriage today suffers from impossible expectations. So I, I was having a conversation with a friend, and I said, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a little odd, but but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a series on relationships. And one of the things that I feel the need to do is to uh, get people to downgrade marriage. <laughs> because the expectations that people have for marriage are really out of line. And everybody's out there looking for their soulmate. And their soulmate is someone who's going to complete them and then life is going to be perfect. When I, if I find my soulmate, then everything's easy. They're not trying to change me. They're my perfect complement, and every moment with my soulmate is euphoria, and it's great. And so I'm like, that's a really um, unhelpful idea about marriage. It's a really naive idea about the human condition. And, and, and so I, I've, 
going to talk specifically about this next week, but I just feel the need to state that part of the challenge we have today, I mean, marriage is dropping. The number of people getting married is dropping, partly because sex is available outside of marriage, and a lot of people used to get married to have sex. Now that's sort of going away, and the number of people getting married is going down. But another reason is because people um, can't find their soulmate. And I talk with married couples who say, yeah, I think I married the wrong person because this is really hard. And you know, I go, well, get your wedding license out and look at the names on it. I suspect you married the right person, right? You, you know, that, th- this is not, of, not how you're thinking about it. So uh, we're going to have to back up and take a run at this differently. But part of it is a realistic understanding of marriage. The final point I'll make today is that God's ideas are often counterintuitive, but they work. I just want to say again, God is for you. I'm going to start here next week. God is for you. God is all-knowing. God is loving. We cannot doubt. This is Romans uh, chapter 8. We cannot doubt the love of God. He sent his only son to die for us, right? He's for us. His counsel is wise, but it it is often a little bit uh, counterintuitive and uh, contrary to the advice that we might get out there. So let me end by saying that um, I want you to be encouraged, and I know that some of you are in just in enormously difficult situations right now. Again, I've been a pastor for 30 years, so I look at a room this, with this many people and say, okay, there's a lot of alcoholism, there's drug abuse, there's people who are struggling with uh, sexual past, sexual abuse, there's domestic violence, there's, there's unemployment, there's, there's lots of anxiety, there's, you know, there, there's dysfunctional relationships going in every direction. Uh, some of you are in situations you never expected that you were going to be in, and it's really hard and scary. I get that. Uh, I want to say God's counsel is for you, and uh, there, there is hope and encouragement and ways forward. I'm not promising easy. There, there's no three steps here. Please do not hear that. But there are ways that move us in the right direction, and they come from God's Word, and we have an opportunity to dig into that. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your care for us. Thank you for um, being for us. Thank you for the counsel that we find um, in your word. Thank you for the challenges about um, being more like Christ and dying to ourself and living and trying to love and serve others. I pray for hope and encouragement for those that are struggling and uh, desperate or discouraged whatever their situation, single or married or divorced or grandparents raising kids, so many different scenarios right now that are more challenging than people expected. Help us to grow, uh, to yield our lives, to to be increasingly filled with your love and care and grace that we can be ambassadors of that grace and love to others. Guide and protect us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.